Take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 16, verses 13 through 34. That's where we're going to be this morning. As we begin to wrap up and conclude today our series um, entitled, entitled Dialing Up Destiny, we've run with an Indiana Jones theme over the summer months, and we're kind of getting to the point where uh, we're going to wrap that up, and it will close out today, and we're going to give you a couple extra thoughts about that. But the emphasis has been on the fact that God has called you to an adventure. He has called each one of us in this room to take a journey with him, a journey where you can fulfill, discover, and live out your destiny. It is the adventure of a lifetime. It's an adventure that you can't get anywhere else. It is a journey that God has created just for you. And so all summer long, we have been talking about that. We've been looking at the ups and downs of that and what it looks like and and the risk that it takes and how to get there from where you are. Uh, And then last week, we talked about the fact that um, Paul, in the passage we were looking at, was having a hard time figuring out where he was supposed to go. Uh, And we were talking about how, as hard as he tried, the Holy Spirit kept saying, no, you can't go there, you can't go there, you can't go there. And we ended last week where he has a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, you come over here. And so this morning, we're going to talk about that particular part of the passage. But in particular, we're going to answer the question, what do you do uh, to discover, to know, uh, when you're not real sure which direction to go? I mean, how does that work out? Because, see, we have people who have been traveling all summer long, right? I mean, some of you have been to some of the bigger places. Some of you in the room have been to Spuds, Florida. And most of you didn't know there was a Spuds, Florida. But in the series, you also found out there's a Mayo, Florida. It changed its name to Miracle Whip. If you were with us, you heard that story on that Sunday morning. Uh, there's a Mayo, Florida. And, and so there's a Spuds, Florida. There is a place. This is Richard Israel's hometown. It's called Scratch Ankle, Alabama. Um, real place, you can look it up. Um, there's Possum Neck, Mississippi. Um, there's B- Burger Hole, West Virginia. I, I, how'd you like to be from Burger Hole? Or what's your hometown, Burger Hole? No, no, seriously, where, where's it, is it? No, it's Burger Hole. Where's that, just down the holler? Born down the holler from Burger Hole. Burger Hole, West Virginia. If you're from there, I'm so sorry. There's Pie Town, New Mexico. Um, there's a little place in Oregon called Boring. Boring, Oregon. Where are you from? I'm from Boring, Oregon. People there I hear live up to their name. And um, <laughs> Big Sag, Montana. I don't know how you would come up with that name, and I have no comments past that. But they're all places that you can go in the USA. And we've been in this series uh, where we've talked about, uh, you know, going on this adventure, and we've looked at all sorts of stuff and movie props from, from Raiders of the Lost Ark and some of the Indiana Jones films. And um, you'll remember this moment, maybe from one of the films, if you take a look at the screen. This is when Indiana Jones uh, got the book or his di- the diary from his father, uh, Henry Jones, who was played by Sean Connery. Um, Henry Jones, uh, the Harrison Ford character is Henry Jones Jr., um, nicknamed Indiana. Um, the name Indiana, he's nicknamed after the family dog. That's where they got the name. And so, but in the book, uh, one more, just one more picture of it, he sends it to him. And this is what it looks like. It looks like that package. Now, along the way, we've been showing you props from the movie. And today, we have that prop right here. It's real ones. 
Why do you need Jones used to find the Holy Grail? This is it. And if you open it up, Lauren hooked me up with this. It is loaded. This is an Indiana Jones fan dream right here. It has maps. It has the FBI documents on the relics that he found and where they're located at. Uh, it has some of the maps that were there that was used. But the most important part of it is the journal. The journal that has been recreated from the film that tells you how to find the Holy Grail with all the drawings and everything else. Now, if you saw the film, you know that this is a fun book to have, and you need this. You've got to have the directions. But the problem for Indiana Jones always was and always is, and it's your problem too, by the way. If you've got all the information, you still have to connect the dots to get there. And so how do you get started? What do you do? How does that work? And to be honest with you, that's where most people fail. Because they don't know what to do to get started. They have all the information they need to go on this great adventure. They have all the information they need to be wildly successful. But at the end of the day, they're not successful. They never do what they were created to do. They never fulfill their destiny because they just never get started. And so as we wrap up today, I want to tell you what to do to make sure that you get started and stay focused in the right way. And if you'll do this, this will kind of put everything into place for you. And even though it will not always be easy, never said that it would be, you will be able to stay on track. And so there's three things I want you to see. If you have your app open, you can find it there. If you have your Bibles open, uh, just keep them open to Acts 16. Uh, The worship flyer will give you the outline. Um, But there are three things that happen. And you've been singing about them. The first thing I want you to see in this passage is never ceasing worship. This passage, this story starts with worship. We just sang shout to the Lord. We talked about the importance of just praising God for who we are, for what he has done, how he has worked in our life. Nothing compares to the promises that he has made to us, the promise that we have in him. All of our lives are hinged upon God. And I want you to hear me very carefully. If you want to discover God's will, God's purpose, God's destiny for your life, it begins with worship. You say, well, what does that mean? You have to sing a song? Well, yes. Do you have to study his word? Yes. Do you have to put your focus on him? Yes. You have to live a life that's devoted to God. And when you're fully focused on God and you really see God for who he is, the only thing that you will do is worship. And so our story picks up today in Philippi. Philippi was named after Philip of Macedon, which um, he was the father of Alexander the Great. Uh, This town that they're at, that they've arrived at, is a military outpost. It was a military outpost um, after Octavius Augustus defeated the people who assassinated Julius Caesar. And so as a result, this city, Philippi, is swarming with Roman guards. It is a Roman military outpost. According to some historians, it was considered to be uh, a miniature version of Rome. It was a stronghold. It was a metropolis. And although it was a, a bustling place and a busy place, Paul has arrived there because he has this vision, and he goes there with this merry band of people to share the gospel and to talk about Jesus. But when he gets there, he makes an amazing discovery. Although it is a strong Roman territory, The presence of Judaism is nowhere to be found. When the Sabbath comes and they want to find a place to worship, they can't find a place to worship. Now, you need to know the significance of that. Because to understand that in culture, the way that Jewish law was put together is that if there were 10 Jewish 
men who were worshipers, then by law they would form a synagogue and that synagogue would become the hub of Jewish worship in that area. And so when Paul says they can't find a place to worship, there's no synagogue to worship in, what that basically means is there's not 10 Jewish men in the region that have proclaimed an allegiance to God. That's the significance of this. And so they get there, and this is where God has called them to go, and they can't find a synagogue. They can't find ten people who will call themselves followers of God to worship. Talk about a a, a mission field. Talk about a place where um, the gospel really does need to be shared. And so Paul and his group, undeterred, they decide, well, okay, if there's no place to worship, what we'll do is we will go down to the river. And they decide that they will go down to the river because part of Jewish worship was ceremonial cleansing. And so, you know, uh, here's a trivia question for you. If you wanted to do that, why would you go to the river? Because there's plenty of water in a river. And so you go to the river because that's where you would just simply go. It was going to be a part of worship. It was going to be easier to do there. They're going down to the river. And so that's where they go. And so as a result... They go down to the river, and it is there that they meet a small group of women getting ready to worship. If you have your Bibles, look at verse 13. It says this, On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we thought we might find a place for prayer. Some women had gathered there, so we sat down and talked with them. And one of the listeners was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, whose job was selling purple cloth. She worshiped God. And he opened her mind to pay attention to what Paul was saying. And she and all the people in her house were baptized. And she invited us to her home, saying, If you think I'm truly a believer in the Lord, then come and stay in my house. And she persuaded us to stay with her. See, we spend a lot of time on this journey thinking that we need to find Jesus. And so I have an amazing insight for you today. Jesus isn't lost. You don't have to find him. And that's great news. Because Jesus isn't lost. But what happens is Jesus finds you. And he finds you at the place that you're at. And you then get to choose how to respond to him. So no matter who you are this morning. Jesus gives you the opportunity to respond and said, take this journey with me. This group uh, of, of believers have assembled down at the water's edge because there was nowhere to worship. And all of a sudden, they begin sharing. And so Paul and his crew, uh, they're doing what they came to do. They came to share and talk about Jesus. And so they are. And they're talking to Jesus with the people that are there that are available to talk to. The people that are God is placed in front of them. The people who are uh, just, it's the opportunity that they have. They've met them at the river. They find sensitive hearts, and all of a sudden they begin talking. Now, what we see then is God going to work, and we find out that God opens the heart of this woman named Lydia. Paul had no way of knowing when he saw this vision of a man in Macedonia saying, come share with us, that the beginning of the church in Philippi was going to be because of a woman named Lydia. He had no way of knowing that. But he was obedient to go and do it. And there's a key piece of this verse that you need to see. And it says simply this. It talks about Lydia. She worshiped God 
And he opened her mind to pay attention to what Paul was saying. You get it, right? She worshiped God. And out of that desire to worship God, he, God, opened her mind so that she could hear, understand, and take in all that Paul was saying. See, worship is something that we choose to do. We choose to put our focus on God. And when you choose to put your focus on God, then you put yourself in the position for your mind and heart to be open to hear what God wants. Can God do it another way? Of course he can. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. But if you're looking for a way to live out the journey, if you're looking for a way to make sure that you don't miss the adventure, you start with worship and you start by focusing on God so that you put yourself in the position for him to open up your mind and heart so you can do what he wants. I know I've been in church a long time. I know people come to church and they come to church and they cross their arms and they sit there and they just sit there like bumps on a log. And they basically look toward heaven and say, God, I dare you to do something. And they walk out the door and God doesn't do anything. And they say, well, see, I dared God to do something and he wouldn't do it. You know why? Because God doesn't care about your dare. He gives you a choice. If you want to participate, that's great. You want to take the venture, that's great. Because he has designed it for you and it's the best journey you could ever take. If you don't want it, it's called free will. He loves you enough to let you say, I'm not going to do it. And so I know folks that come and they come to worship. But when they come to worship, they want to analyze the music, the style. They walk out the door and say, you know, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't experience God. Because what they've done is they've kind of decided that they want to critique everything that's going on. And so I, I couldn't hear God today because, you know, the preacher, well, you know, he doesn't dress right. Or the preacher got a haircut. <laughs> I didn't get a haircut. I just grew taller. My hair stay, hasn't, hasn't caught up yet. It will. Give it time. Uh, I didn't like that song. Uh, I, I didn't like uh, the temperature of the room. I didn't like the people I sit next to. <laughs> Sadly, you rode with them. You're stuck with them. But neither here nor there. Um, I mean, we use a lot of excuses. But at the end of the day, you have a choice to make. And the choice that you have to make is, will you put your focus on God? Because this begins with worship. And when you decide to take the journey that God has for you, And when you decide to get it right, you will decide that you are going to live a life and you're going to always worship. Your life becomes a never-ending, never-ceasing worship event. And I promise you, I promise you, if you will do that, you will see God's hand in your life in ways that you never have before. You'll see God doing things that you've never seen before. Why? Because you've taken your focus and you've put it on God. And when you put it on Him first, then and only then are you in position... To live the adventure that you've been called to live. It's the first thing that we see in the passage. Lydia, she goes to worship. It's important. Paul, he goes to worship because he has nowhere else to go. So he's going to worship. He goes down to the river. And what happens when he gets down there? All of a sudden, God puts the pieces together. And the church begins. The second thing I want you to see is also, I want you to see the awesome power of God. The awesome power of God, you sang about that too. Our God's an awesome God. He rings. That's an old song. Went way back. Rich Mullins song. Fantastic song. Uh, one of those songs that um, I am convinced we're going to sing in heaven, but that's a whole different story. Um, let me give you a fun fact. 
you ever been eating a Krispy Kreme donut in your car? And when the Krispy Kreme is hot, it kind of melts. Now, uh, I heard someone say one time, and I think it's true, eating a crispy, hot Krispy Kreme is like eating a baby angel. kind of heavenly. It's awesome. A little bit sinful too. So I yeah, eat the baby. So try it. Go, go down, go drive down to Winter Park and try it. It's awesome. Eat, go eat a baby angel. It's a spiritual experience. You need to try it. And if you're diabetic, don't call me. Uh, anyway, but if you ever eat one that's hot, right, it starts flaking off on you, right? And if you're eating in your car while you're driving, it's even worse. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to go. I want you to get the Krispy Kreme. I just want you to take it. Just take it in your hand like this and just go. I mean, just smash it in your face. And just lick at it and let it just crumble all over you, the hot glaze, and let it fall over the floor. Then this is where you need to be careful because this is what you don't know. If you were to get up and get out of, your, uh, get out of the seat, you know, and, and you've got all that Krispy Kreme stuff all over you, and you were to take yourself and brush yourself off like this and manage to catch it like in a towel or something and then put it in a baggie and then put it in the car next to you in your passenger seat and go driving real fast down the road and wait for the police to stop you. Darren, back me up on this. You drive too fast, police will stop you, right? Okay, all right. So you drive too fast, police will stop you, and they're going to say, hey, license registration, and what's that in that little bag over there? And the most amazing thing happens, Krispy Kreme donut rocks and flakes looks like crystal meth. Looks just like crystal meth. Some of you already know that, and that's bad. I I share this story with you to tell you um, that... that, uh, Recently, in South Florida, a man was stopped. He'd been eating a Krispy Kreme donut. License registration, but as the officer looked in the car, he looked in the floorboard, saw all this stuff. It's all this Krispy Kreme donut, angel residue, all over the front seat. <laughs> and so I asked the guy if he could step out of the car. Looked at it, took a sample, tested the sample on the road with one of those quick tests. Tested positive for crystal meth. So here's a Safety tip for all of you. <laughs> if you get stopped in South Florida eating a Krispy Kreme donut, according to the research that they have released, 50% of the time it will pop positive for crystal meth. The guy said, hey, I, this is a Krispy Kreme donut. They said, sure. They tested again. Tested positive again. Put him in the car. Took him to jail. When they took the, took the sample to the lab, they did the real lab work, not the road test, but the real lab work, they came back and they released him and they apologized. And it was a very embarrassing situation. Um, case in point, don't get stopped in South Florida eating a Krispy Kreme donut. But here's my spiritual point. And you knew there was one coming, right? Besides the whole baby angel thing and stuff like that, which is very spiritual. See, one minute, life is so good. Because there are very few things as good as eating a Krispy Kreme donut while you're driving. You're riding a high of eating that Krispy Kreme donut. Life is good. And the next thing you know, you're getting arrested for crystal meth. <laughs> the highs are high. The lows are low. And one minute you're cooking and sailing and it's all good. And the next minute, not so good. See, Paul and these worshipers are having a great time down at the river. I mean, this is a riverside revival. I mean, they're going down there, they're praying, they're singing, they're getting along real great. Uh, Lydia's, uh, she, she's inviting them into their home. I mean, it, it is good. I mean, they're staying with one of the wealthiest women in Philippi. I mean, it's, you know, great digs, great food. Uh, they're not wanting for anything. They're going down there and they're partying, and all of a sudden, every day when they're going down there, though, 
every day on the way to the river, there's this, there's this woman, there's a girl. And every time that they walk past, she's like screaming at them, screeching at them. These men will tell you how to get saved. Well, accurate. But every day they're going back and forth and she's just screeching at them. Those of these guys will tell you how to be saved. And as they're going up and down, they recognize and realize that this woman is possessed by a demon. And this demon has recognized the power of God. And it's telling people, stay away from these guys because they're, they're going to they're gonna save you. They're going to change you. And this is happening every day. And it gets annoying to Paul. And so let's jump into the passage. It says this, when I turn my page. Verse 16. Once we were going to the place to pray, and a servant girl met us. She had a special spirit in her. <laughs> and she earned a lot of money for her for owners by telling fortunes. This girl followed Paul and us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God. They're telling you how you can be saved. She kept up for many days, and this bothered Paul. And so he turned and said to her, said to the spirit, by the power of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her immediately. The spirit came out. Now, she was certainly an unlikely witness, and that's probably why Paul put up with it as long as he did, but it got to the point where he decided he was irritated about it, and it was really annoying, and he recognized who she was and what was going on in her, and so he said, enough is enough. And so as the passage unfolds, we hear that he stops, and he name of Jesus, he casts out the demon. And the demon comes out. I mean, it's, it, it, not a lot of pomp and circumstance here, not a whole lot of uh, flash to it. It's just, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out. Boom, demon is gone. <laughs> Takes care of it. It's over. And Paul just decided he had gotten to the point where he needed to push back, and he did. Yeah, you ever gotten to the point where you just know you need to say something and you just don't say it? You ever try to be obedient for God and the moment comes along and you know maybe you ought to speak up and do something but you just don't do it? Uh, you ever have that opportunity where, you know, something needs to be said right now but I don't want to do it and, and, and I'm afraid to push back? You realize that the road to your greatest potential runs right through your greatest fear. And sometimes we're just so fearful of stepping up and pushing back in a culture where we feel like it's pushing on us and it's out of control. This was a moment that Paul finally decided, you know, Satan, you've had your moment. You've had enough. We're done here. Get out. I want you to understand that we live in a culture where the highs can be high. But the reality is that we live in a world that sometimes is a little bit dark and it's okay to push back a little bit. As the people of God, we're called to step into darkness and shine light. And I think that sometimes we don't do that because we just forget how awesome God really is. I think that sometimes we don't do it because we just forget how big God is. I think sometimes we don't do it because the bigness of our God is um, not as big as our greatest obstacle. And so as a result, we don't do anything. We don't say anything. And we let it go. Now, 
Of course, the story isn't in here because everyone wasn't thrilled about it. Because, well, this girl was a fortune teller. She had the ability to predict the future. And now uh, her owners, because she was a slave, now have lost their moneymaker. And so in verse 19, when the owners of the servant girl saw this, they knew that they now could not use her to make money. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the city rulers in the marketplace. They brought Paul and Silas to Roman rulers and said, these men are Jews and are making trouble in our city and they're teaching things that are not right for us as Romans to do. And the crowd joined the attack against them. And the Roman officers tore the clothes of Paul and Silas, had them beaten with rods. Then Paul and Silas were thrown into jail and the jailer was ordered to guard them carefully. When they heard this order, he put them far inside the jail and pinned their feet down between large blocks of wood. See, one minute you're eating a Krispy Kreme donut, next minute you're getting arrested. One minute you're having a party down at the riverside, next minute you're getting thrown into jail. Not just in the front of the jail, in the back of the jail. Locked down, put in the stocks, pushed away. And then the scary part of this is verse 22. The crowd joined the attack against them. Isn't that interesting? You know, when we talk about the culture and we talk about the way our culture works, uh, isn't crowd and mob mentality bothersome and irritating and wildly confusing? I mean, people will protest anything and have no idea what they're protesting. They'll sign a petition and have no idea what they're signing. They'll get mad and bent out of shape because someone says get mad and bent out of shape. And, 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 and we live in a world where we just seem to flock from thing to thing to thing. And so all of a sudden, these guys are able to incite a crowd against the men of God. And next thing you know, this Riverside Revival, the day that started in Lydia's house, with a nice breakfast, by the way, ends up, and now they're in the back of the jail. Bent over, beaten with rods, and put in stocks, sitting forward. And notice that nothing that they've done has been wrong. At each step of the way, they've been obedient. Sometimes in our life, when it gets tough, and we say, well, this was hard, but God must not have a hand in that. No, no, God has a hand in the hard stuff. Sometimes when things aren't going our way, we think to ourselves, well, I, I must have missed out on this thing, because, I mean, obviously... Uh, you know, God wouldn't have let this happen. Well, no, God might let it happen. See, God, God was very aware what was happening to Paul and Silas. He was very aware of Paul, where Paul and Silas were. He was very aware they were being beaten with rods. He was very aware they were going to jail. Now, I read that and I go, I don't like that. That is not what I signed up for. And that's why we don't put it in the brochures. But you just got to be honest, life sometimes unfolds that way. Life sometimes has some hard knocks to it. Life sometimes is going to take you on a trip where you're not as excited about it. So now we come back and take a look at, well, what happened then? I mean, we started this whole thing with praise and started with worship and they were having a great time at the river and then God's an awesome God. They're casting out demons. It's good. And then now all of a sudden they're in jail. So where do we end up? Well, we end up with praise and worship. The last thing I want you to see about the passage is that um, they sing shout and shake. Because there's a whole lot of shaking going on by the time this is over with. We start with praise. We end with praise. Paul and Silas are trapped in this damp, dark cell. Uh, They have open wounds that probably have not been washed and tended. We know that because of what we're going to read in a minute. Their feet are shackled to a wooden bar, forcing them to sit upright in a very uncomfortable position. They're sore. 
Um, for most people at this point, they might be going into some sort of shock. They have gone from Lydia's warm home to a dramatic de- demonic battle, and now they have been beaten and thrown in jail. And in verse 25, it says this, After midnight, or about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing songs to God as the other prisoners listened. Suddenly there was a strong earthquake that shook the foundation of the jail. Then all the doors of the jail broke open and all the prisoners were freed from their chains. The jailer woke up and saw that the jail doors were open. And thinking that the prisoners had already escaped, he got out of the store and was about to kill himself. Now for Paul and Silas, here's what they did. And here's a lesson that we need to learn. They worshipped through their pain. They worship through their discomfort, and they worship through the hurt. See, when we're in pain, and we're not comfortable, and we hurt, what occupies our mind? Pain, the discomfort, and the hurt. That's where we put our focus. And yet for Paul and Silas, they were able to remember the adventure that they were called to, the destiny that they had, and they were able to put their focus on God, and they praised God through the pain. They kept shouting to the Lord. And they break into song. And an earthquake shakes the jail. And all of a sudden they're free. And the jailer knows that these guys are free. He's going to be killed. And so in verse 28, Paul says to him, don't do it. We're still here. (laughs) Don't kill yourself. And in verse 30, the jailer brought him outside and said, men, what must I do to be saved? And they said to him, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and all the people in your house. And so Paul and Silas told the message of the Lord to the jailer and to all the people in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took Paul and Silas and washed their wounds. And then he and all his people were baptized immediately. After this, the jailer took Paul and Silas home and gave him food. He and his family were very happy because they now believed. In God. Interestingly enough, they, he cleaned up Paul and Silas, which is why we go back to earlier. I said that they probably had not been cleaned up. And then he and all his people were baptized immediately. Where do you think they baptized him at? The river. Why? There's a lot of water there. Yeah, you see, this is, this is not hard to keep up with the story. I mean, it's really easy when you start to eat, lean into it just a little bit. The Bible's so easy to understand. Oh, there's water there. Okay, I didn't baptize him there. Back down to the right river again. So all of a sudden, this riverside revival continues. They just got there a different way. With a crowd of people they didn't plan on getting down there with. Why did they get down there with these people? Because they were obedient. Well, where were they obedient? In jail. What would be the most difficult place to be obedient? I would think would be might be jail. And yet here they are, and they praise God through the pain, and all of a sudden God shows up, and then they're baptizing the jailer, and they're in the jailer's house. And, and I, I want to think that I would have been that spiritual. But I'm your pastor, and I never would lie to you on purpose. Much. Anyway, I, I got to tell you, if, that, if I'm in jail and it springs open, I'm out. I'm gone. I ain't sticking around to have a revival meeting. I'm not running down the river baptizing anybody. I'm not taking anybody out to the pond and dunking them. I'm out of there. I'm out there and I'm going to go back and renegotiate with God. God, this whole Philippi thing, that's a bad idea, right? I must have missed something. Uh, this, is, this is not good. That's not what they do. These guys are good. They're on their game. And they know exactly what they're supposed to do. And so whatever situation, wherever he was, you see Paul and this group of people with him, and they represent Jesus. They had no idea in the vision when the man said, Come and help us in Macedonia. Then it meant a Riverside revival. 
It meant casting out demons. And it meant going to jail and getting beat up and then baptizing the jailer. They couldn't script that. But that was the adventure. How did they find it? They worshiped God. They held on and believed in the awesomeness and bigness of God. And even when things weren't going so well, they held on. They believed in the awesomeness of God and they kept worshiping and celebrating. Verse 35 says this, Next morning, Roman officers sent the police to tell the jailer, let these men go free. And the jailer says to Paul, "Um, the officers have sent an order to let you go free. You can leave now. Go in peace. And this is where Paul becomes that guy. Verse 37. But Paul said to the police, they beat us in public without a trial, and even though we're Roman citizens, and then they threw us in jail, and now they want us to go away quietly? No. You tell them to come down here themselves and tell us to go. I like Paul. Man, I like Paul. Remember I said earlier, sometimes it's okay to push back? See, in a culture that so desperately wants to push God out of the public square and push God out of the arena... It's okay to push back. It's, it's not doing anything wrong, especially when you do it in the right way. And so verse 38, it says this, the police told the Roman officers what Paul said. And the officers heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens and they were afraid. And the reason they're afraid is because they screwed up. They listened to the maddening crowd and beat them. But Paul and Silas, because they were Romans, had a right to a trial before any of that would have happened. So these guys jumped the gun. They messed up, and they knew it, and they wanted them to go away quietly, which is why when Paul says, no, you make them come down here and tell us. You know they're going down there thinking, oh, man, what have we got ourselves into now? Here we go. Because Paul's not a quiet guy. And so they came, and they told Paul and Silas they were sorry. And they took them out of jail. And the Bible doesn't say this, but I promise you it's there nicely. Ask them to leave the city. See, we are so fearful that someone won't like us or that someone will think crossways of us if we speak up for God. Not the way it works. Um, Paul made his appeal. He was a Roman citizen. He knew what his rights were. He had the right to be heard. They did not give that to him. See, we live in a day and age where we do have the right to be heard. We just can't be afraid to say things. And see, your destiny awaits, but if you're going to live out your destiny, you've got to take responsibility for, for who you are and who God has created you to be. We always want the blame for everything that's wrong in our life to go somewhere else, right? It's always got to be someone else's fault. And I mentioned that earlier, and I come back to it again, because at the end of the day, there is a moment where you stand before God and you simply decide, this is my life, this is where I am. Am I going to spend all my time griping, complaining? Am I going to be negative? Am I going to be looking at all the things that are wrong? Or am I going to simply look at God and say, God, I'm going to praise you for who you are, praise you for where you've placed me, and praise you in this moment, and then trust God to get you where you need to go? You've got to own your stuff. If you spend all your life trying to put ownership and blame on others you'll never discover the journey that God has for you see I'm convinced a lot of people never discover the destiny that God has for them is because they never start to worship they never really worship God 
They want God for the convenience of a salvation ticket, but they don't want to be serious about following. And as a result, they got their salvation reservations made, but then they spend a life spinning their wheels, always upset, always angry, always in angst, and always spun up for some reason. And at the end of the day, they've missed out on the fact that God has a destiny for you, and you have to embrace that and follow him. See, getting you into heaven wasn't the hardest thing that Jesus did. Now, that may be revolutionary to some of you, but you know what? That was really... I mean, he paid the high price for that. He died, he came back to life. Done. Check. You can go to heaven now. Oh, the hard part? Getting you to follow every day. Getting you to give up your free will and say, okay, Jesus, I'll be who you want me to be. See, we're all up for the Willy Wonka golden ticket to heaven, right? I want my ticket. I got my ticket. I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. And that's great. So what are you going to do between now and then? See, because some of you in this room might have another 80 years. You going to spend 80 years with your ticket in your pocket? Or you can spend 80 years chasing God and allowing Him to lead you. Some of you only have one more year. You going to squander the year, framing your golden ticket? Or are you going to get serious about following God with everything you have for the 365 days you might have left? See, destiny is awaiting us, and your greatest days are always in front of you if you're willing to step in and embrace them. We said when the series started, it's for you as individuals, it's for us as a ministry, it's for who we're going to be in the next chapter. And this basically, for us, as we kind of get to the end of the summer, this takes and kind of turns the page, and we turn the page and open up a new chapter of ministry for us, because we're kind of getting into the summer, school's going to be starting soon, uh, we're kind of rolling forward and doing the next thing, and we shared earlier on in the summer some pictures with you of what a building on the outside would look like. I promise you today we would show you a floor plan, this is what that looks like. Now, I know you can't see that from where you are, unless your eyes are incredibly good. But we'll put that on the wall so you can see it next week. But what you have to understand about that floor plan is we have looked at that, we have prayed over that, we're working on it. Even this week, we have some meetings we're working on. We're about 60% through the design phase of this thing, and we're going to be talking about it through the month of September. But understand that where you are right now is you're sitting in a corner of a children's worship area. This is a massive build. They'll allow us to do something in our community that, that no one else is doing. When we started, I told you, this is an impossible dream. But as we worked on it this summer, the impossible, the impossible has become improbable. In other words, there's a way to get there from where we are. And I told you, the next step after improbable, inevitable. Once we nail down all the improbables, it'll be inevitable. We'll get there. We have so much space and we have so many dreams to try to fill in this space and do some stuff. This gives us an opportunity uh, to kind of roll forward into the future in a way that, that we begin a new chapter in ministry and, and we're going to discover some God, God wanting to do with us some things that are beyond our imagination. But the question for you is, for you as an individual, do you want to be a part of that? And the question for you uh, collectively, I mean, are you ready to take that next step? You're ready to be energized and go. Now, I've been in church a long time. I think I told our staff a little while, while back, I said, you know, everybody, everybody wants a church to grow as long as you don't have to give up your seat. And everybody wants a church, and we want to invite everybody to church, even the messy people, until the messy people show up. And I want you to understand, we want to be that church for everybody. You know, look around this room. I, and I, I look, around, look around this room. Look at people in this room. This is the second service we've done today. We did one at nine. You know, and, and they're not as spiritual as you guys. But, but you're here at 1115. You're good. Look around the room. I can tell you because I know some of you people. You guys are a mess. 
I mean, some of your lives are a colossal train wreck. I just got to tell you. Sometimes I, I wonder, why did God bring them here? Because First Baptist Long was right down the street. I thought that at times about some of you guys because you, you're, just, you're just a mess. And then, you know, I look in the mirror of my life and, you know, I, 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 I can be messy too. But see, God takes our messes in together. <laughs> he does something incredible. See, because we don't have to have a vision. God has a vision. All you have to do is say yes. God has a vision for your life. All you have to do is say yes. And the journey begins. And God will do something incredible. Bow your heads and close your eyes and let's pray for just a moment. God, we are thankful that um, you invite us to the party. (laughs) We really didn't do anything to get the invitation. Um, You didn't invite us because we were good. You didn't invite us because we looked pretty. You didn't invite us because we were anything special. Anything special about us comes from you. But yet you invite us. And you invite us to be a part of a journey with you that we can't make up on our own. We spend a lot of time trying, but at the end of the day, the best journey, our best destiny lies with you. God, there's some who have never made the decision to believe and trust and follow Jesus. They've never accepted the fact that, um, yeah, we're, that they're sinners, broken sinners. And they've never believed that you uh, paid the price for our sins on the cross and came back from the grave. And they've never chosen to follow you. And so we've missed the ABCs. And so we've never get around to the D part, doing what we're created to do, our destiny. Let me pray for anybody who's never done that. For anyone who's never accepted the gift of salvation that you offer. I pray that this would be their day. I pray they'd get done kicking the tires and sampling the menu and decide to go all in and believe. They're watching online. They can stop the feed right now and just send us an email. We got some things that we can give them that will help them in that journey. They're here in this room this morning. I pray that before they walk out the door, they would just give us a note and put it in the giving kiosk on the way out the door and say, I, uh, I want to make that choice. I want to accept Jesus. It give us a chance to come alongside and encourage them and help them um, with some things that uh, I believe would help them grow. But Lord, many in this room, we know you. And we want to follow and we want to get it right. And we just sense that we live in a world where there is so much more that we can do. There's so much more that we can become. And God, we don't want to miss it. So help us to accept the invitation to the adventure. Help us to step into the big dance and create within us a desire to live the life that you created for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.